0: Psalm 2 Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, "Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles." The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And now we'll turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9 and we'll read verses 1 through 7. Samuel 9:1. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, is there anyone, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel in Lodabah. So King David had him bought from lot Debar from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to him to pay him honour. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Now, going to chapter 10, we'll read verses 1 through 6. In the course of time, the king of the Ammonites died, and his son Hanan succeeded him as king. David thought, I will show kindness to Hanan, son of Nahash, just as his father showed kindness to me. So, David sent a delegation to express his sympathy to Hanan concerning his father. When David's men came to the land of the Ammonites, the Ammonite commanders said to Hanan, their lord, Do you think David is honoring your father by sending envoys to you to express sympathy? Hasn't David sent them to you only to explore the city and spy it out and overthrow it? So, Hanan seized David's envoys shaved off half of each man's beard, cut off their garments at the buttocks and sent them away. When David was told about this, he sent messengers to meet the men, for they were greatly humiliated. The king said, stay at Jericho till your beards have grown and then come back. When the Ammonites realised that they had become obnoxious to David, they hired 20,000 Aramean foot soldiers from Beth, Rehob and Zobar, as well as the king, Ma'aka, with a thousand men, and also 12,000 men from Tob. And now we'll turn to Romans chapter 5. And we'll be reading from Romans 5, 6 through 11. Starting at chapter, uh, verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless... For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation.
1: Okay, uh, well, well done everyone. Um, We've managed to get the whole way through uh, the day here at St Matthews, reading those uh, four passages. Not one person has giggled at the line about the buttocks. Um, so we've done well. Um, we don't normally read four different passages. And so to start with today, I'm going to get you to do a bit of work. I want you to take a couple of minutes now to try and work out how those four readings are connected. Um, you can just sit by yourself and think about it for a bit. You can talk with the people around you. Um, But uh, yeah, what I want you to do is is think about those four readings, um, try and find, are there any threads that run through all four of them? Um, Apologies to the live stream, of course, this isn't very good TV, um, but just for a couple of minutes, now, uh, people around you, see what you can come up with. How are those four readings connected? Go. Okay, I'll call you back in, I'm sure you found some great connections with the people around you. Uh, if you're new and this is your first time at St. Matthew's, um, we don't do this every single week, um, but we do want to dig into the Bible um, and think about it for ourselves each week. So it will be really handy if you've got a Bible with you, uh, keep that open, do like as many fingers as you need to keep um, in those passages and we're going to work our way through. And in fact, that's how we're going to be uh, going through tonight. We're going to be looking at Psalm 2. 2 Samuel 9, 2 Samuel 10 and then Romans 5, so if you're someone who likes to keep track um, where we are in terms of those passages is where we're up to in the sermon Um, I'm not sure what you came up with and and what kind of uh, threads you found um, but I think those four readings all uh, include two things, Uh, they're all about the king and his enemies did you notice that? Uh, how God's king deals with his enemies. And That's why we started uh, by reading Psalm 2, uh, because Psalm 2 is all about how the nations rise up against God. And look what God says in response there in uh, Psalm 2, verse 5. He says, uh, It says that he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. See, that's what God does. In the face of his enemies, he installs his king. And Psalm 2 gives us the paradigm, the framework for understanding these chapters of 2 Samuel, uh, which we're up to in our series. Um, So um, that's what we're going to work our way through. But firstly, we want to see that David, we want to see him through the lens of Psalm 2. Because he is the one... That God has installed as his king. We saw that last week if you're here. Uh, 2 Samuel 7 is one of those uh, really important passages in the flow of the Bible because God makes these huge promises to David, saying that um, he will establish David's dynasty forever. And that's what God has done. He's installed David as his king. And so now in 2 Samuel chapters 9 and 10, we see David as God's king. Dealing with his enemies. And it plays out uh, just like Psalm 2. So let's dig into these stories of David and his enemies now. Uh, Firstly, uh, 2 Samuel 9, Mephibosheth. Uh, He is the example of what it means to kiss the sun, to kiss the sun, kiss God's king. Um, Now, Mephibosheth doesn't jump out at us as some terrible enemy, right? But notice there in verse 6, he's Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul. Now Saul was uh, David's enemy. Saul was the guy who chased him around trying to kill him. And we're fresh off a really long civil war in Israel between the house of Saul and the house of David. And Mephibosheth is the heir of the old dynasty. He's a rival, an enemy. And what normally happens to the old regime when the new regime comes in? Well, the new guys purge the old guys. They, they kill them, they get rid of them. Uh, when Hitler rose to power in Nazi Germany, uh, one of the turning points uh, was this thing called the Night of the Long Knives. Uh, basically, he ordered uh, the SS um, to kill hundreds of uh, other people within the Nazi leadership, leaving just him in charge. That's what rulers do. They come in and they eliminate their opponents. But look at what David does. He does the opposite there in chapter 9 verse 1. David asked, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? See, he wants to show kindness to the house of Saul, his enemy. And that word kindness is really important. It's it's, a, it's the word that gets used of God's love for his people, uh, especially the love that God has promised to show to his people. It's God's covenant love for Israel. Uh, we've got a kid's Bible at home, which uh, we read to our, uh, our kids, and um, it calls that word uh, God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. I think that's a good translation there in the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's that kind of love and David wants to show that love to Jonathan's family. Why? Well because he made a covenant with Jonathan, a promise. Uh, We need to flashback for this, Uh, flashback to 1 Samuel, this is long before uh, David became king. Um, David was actually in Saul's service, um, but he'd had one too many spears thrown at him by Saul, and so he has to go on the run. And this is what Jonathan says to David before he leaves. He says, uh, "...but show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness, as long as I live, so that I may not be killed, and do not ever cut off your kindness from my family." See, they make a covenant, a bond, a promise to show kindness, that never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Jonathan asks for kindness, like the Lord's kindness. And David knows that kindness from the Lord. That's what we heard last week, those amazing promises that David didn't deserve. Uh, God promises that David's house would endure And he receives those blessings from God. He's experienced God's covenant kindness. And so now he asks, uh, who can I show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? Even though Mephibosheth is rightly an enemy. Well, let's pause there. Let's think about it from Mephibosheth's point of view, right? Right? He's, uh, we're told he's lame in both feet. He can't run from David. Um, He's probably been trying to lay low, um, but now he's summoned by the new king. Uh, What does he think is going to happen? He probably thinks, I'm going to get knocked off here. I'm going to get wiped out. So look at what he does there in verse 6. He does something smart. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honour. David, uh, sorry, David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. So he comes on his knees. He bows before God's king. And it's exactly what Psalm 2 recommends. It says, Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with Fear. And celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son. Come to God's anointed one. Make peace with him. Receive his kindness. So that's what he does. Mephibosheth comes as a servant. And he recognises David as king. That's what you do. That's wise. Uh, That's what people do in... Uh, Our world as well, Um, whenever there's a new US president, other world leaders send uh, them gifts to recognise the president, to try and secure a bond of friendship between them. Um, So George W. Bush, he was given 300 pounds of raw lamb from Argentina and the president of Bulgaria gave him a puppy. Um, Just a really good move. If you want to make friends with someone, uh, send them a puppy. But Mephibosheth doesn't send gifts. But he does come to pay honour. And look at the result. David brings him in. It says that he ate at David's table. Later on it says he, he ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. He's welcomed into the family, included in the banquets of the king. Mephibosheth bows to God's king and he receives the blessings of God's king. But there's something we shouldn't miss here in David's life as well. Notice what he does. He has received the faithful love of God himself. And so he extends that kind of faithful love to others. He knows that God keeps his promises, his his covenant with him. And so he looks to keep his promises, his covenants of love with those around him. B.B. Warfield was a famous American theologian who lived about 150 years ago. Um, What isn't really well known about him is the story of his marriage. While he was on his honeymoon in Europe, um, he and his wife uh, went on this walking tour up in the mountains. And they got caught in a lightning storm. And it was such a a violent storm um, that she she never really recovered from the incident, just the trauma of it. She was essentially an invalid for the rest of uh, their lives. And so for their entire marriage, Warfield never left her for more than two hours at a time. He lived on campus at Princeton where he taught and he uh, went back and forth between the classroom and their little apartment, uh, caring for his wife. Um, Essentially, that was his whole world for his life but he knew the covenant keeping love of God and so he gave that same kind of love in the covenants and promises he'd made in his life as well and that ought to be us, shouldn't it? We should stop and ask ourselves, are we are full of the same kind of faithful love that keeps our promises? But Back to the king and his enemies. That's what we want to stay focused on. Uh, That's the Mephibosheth story. Kiss the son. He's the example of how you respond uh, in service to God's king. But now move on to 2 Samuel 10. Now, amazingly, this story starts in exactly the same way. Did you notice that? Uh, Chapter 10, verse 1. In the course of time, the king of the Ammonites died, and his son, Hanan, succeeded him as king. David thought, I will show kindness to hanan son of nahash just as his father showed kindness to me it's the same word that never stopping never giving up unbreaking always and forever love and now he wants to show it to the ammonites this guy david he is so full of love himself he's just giving it out to everyone Now it's not clear how the king of the Ammonites showed kindness to David, maybe it was while he was on the run from Saul, but somehow they had established this this covenant, this bond of kindness between them. But this time it plays out very differently. Hanan rejects his kindness. He accuses David's men of being spies, he cuts off half their beard, cuts off half their clothes, and you know, you can just get a sense of the scene. We're a long way from that culture and yet you can still feel the weight of that public shaming. They're greatly humiliated. Hanan scorns God's king and it's exactly what Psalm 2 says. The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, which is what happens. The Ammonites realise they've done the wrong thing. They've poked the bear and they shouldn't have. And so they hire 20,000 Aramean foot soldiers and others and they, they band together against God's king. But that won't work, will it? Because God fights for David, God fights for Israel. And the Lord looks down and he scoffs. See, who are they and their armies? to fight against the creator God. If we read on in chapter 10, we find the Aramaeans are chased off and the Ammonites are defeated. Of course. The Lord scoffs at them. Again, David extends his uh, loving kindness to his enemies. But this time it's rejected and his wrath flares up. He punishes them In his anger. Um, But notice why. Look there in in verse 5 of 2 Samuel 10. uh, What's David's first reaction? Not anger, but compassion. When David was told about this, he sent messengers to meet the men, for they were greatly humiliated. The king said, Stay at Jericho till your beards have grown, and then come back. See, David's first reaction is compassion for his people. His anger rises out of that offence. And that's true of God's anger as well. God's anger doesn't flare up for no reason. He's angry at injustice. He's angry that his gracious love is scorned by people in the world that he's made. He's angry that His king, Jesus... Is mocked and he's angry that Christians are persecuted and humiliated for trying to do good in the world. God's anger flares up. There's a guy, uh, Ben Kwashi. He is the Archbishop of Jos in Nigeria, um, and he's the General Secretary of a thing called GAFCON, which is this worldwide evangelical movement in the Anglican Church. Um, and he and his wife. Um, foster orphans uh, whose parents have been killed in kind of persecution against Christians in Nigeria. Sometimes they have up to 60 children uh, living in their home. I honestly can't fathom how you have 60 children in your home at any one time, but uh, that's what they do. And across many years, uh, they have had their church burned down, their home burnt down, Uh, His wife, Gloria, has been partially blinded in these attacks. And God's angry at that. He really is. God is angry at injustice. Angry that people who are trying to do good in the world are hurt and persecuted for it. And his king, Jesus, will bring ultimate justice for that. He has installed his king and his wrath can flare up. I think um, that can be something of a comfort for us, though. See, just as David has compassion on his men, Jesus has compassion on his people. If you're someone who has suffered injustice, if you're someone who is mocked uh, for trying to do good, for trying to love God in the world... Know that Jesus, God's King, has compassion on his people and he won't let injustice and oppression go on forever. 2 Samuel 9 and 10 are a study in how God's King deals with his enemies. See, he shows them loving kindness. And where that's embraced, then he welcomes them in, draws them into his family. And where that is rejected, then his wrath flares up. And the Lord scoffs at that opposition. And I have to say, that is our experience as well, isn't it? So turn to the New Testament. Uh, Come with me to Romans 5, uh, that final passage. Uh, There in the New Testament, we find God's King showing that same covenant love. That same covenant love there in Romans 5. Who does he show it to? To enemies. To enemies. Uh, There in Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still enemies. We're like Mephibosheth, rightly counted as being set against God. But even then, even before we'd kind of come in service like Mephibosheth does... Even before that, Jesus died for us, gives his life to welcome us into God's family. Because he's promised, he's promised that he will bless the world and God keeps his covenant and he loves those who are his enemies. Verse 6 says, it was when we were still powerless We are just like Mephibosheth, you know, lame in both feet, completely unable to do anything about our own situation. But God does it. He shows his never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love for enemies. See, Romans 5 is really just putting flesh on the bone of what Psalm 2 says. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Blessed are all. Who take refuge in God's King. So, what do we do with all this? Uh, well, a couple of things. Firstly, can I say, be wise? Be wise. That's the instruction there at the end of Psalm 2. Be wise, consider the situation, and decide in a smart way. Kiss the son, or he will be angry. His wrath can flare up. Consider the difference between Mephibosheth and Hanan. Consider the difference between how they respond to God's king and what the consequences are for them. You see, God has installed Jesus as his eternal king. How foolish to scorn his love! How foolish to remain as his enemy, even after he's died for you. Wouldn't it be smart? Wouldn't it be wise? To receive that love, to receive that offer of forgiveness, and to enter his service, if you 're here tonight and you're or you 're listening uh, watching on the live stream and you 're not someone who counts yourself a Christian, can I encourage you be wise, consider the consequences, be wise secondly, if you 're someone who has received the faithful love of God's King Jesus, then you are called to pass that on to others. That's why Jesus calls us to love our enemies, because that's the kind of love that God has shown us. He loved us when we were his enemies. And so we're called to love those who we find difficult, even to love those who are set against us, to pray for people who persecute us or mock us, because that's the type of love that God has showered upon us. That's what David does. The source of his love is the fact that God has already shown his covenant-keeping love to him, and so he passes it on, even to those who are his enemies. I want to finish uh, with a story uh, that captures something of both of those things together. This is a story from um, Trinity Theological College. They put out a kind of... um, little magazine every quarter, um, just about things going on in the life of the college. And this is a story from a guy called Tony Walker. Uh, I went to college with Tony, he's a great guy, Um, and now he works in prison ministry here in WA. And this is what he wrote in that uh, article. He says this, Richard was a lifer in Bunbury Prison and a very angry man. Every time I came to Bunbury Prison, he would tell me, what a load of rubbish the Bible was. According to him, it was just a made-up story from different people. I would say, God loves you, that I know, because the Bible tells me so. Uh, Richard never changed his view, but we became good friends. Later, I left Bunbury Prison and did not see him. Uh, Two years later, another chaplain told me that Richard had recently been baptised and wanted to see me. I asked him what had changed, and he replied that God had touched him. He told me that he knew everything I had said was true, but he was too angry to let God in. He is now at Casuarina Prison running his own Bible study. Praise God. What a great story, hey? See, Richard was wise. Richard was wise, he turned to God's king and received that offer of welcome, of forgiveness, of inclusion into God's family. Uh, There in Bunbury Prison, Richard was wise. And he heard it from Tony, a guy who himself uh, knew the covenant-keeping, faithful love of God for him in his life and so lived his life trying to pass it on to others. Uh, Richard was wise, and Tony passed on God's love. Let's do the same.